A Hero's Journey is, by its nature, a podcast filled with spoilers. We recommend reading the book beforehand and then diving into the episode, but proceed at your own risk. Welcome to A Hero's Journey, a literary podcast. I'm your host and judge, Jack, and I'm here with my Bobaton beauties. This is Alex. Each week, we look at a different book through Joseph Campbell's monomyth. This week, we're reading book four in the Harry Potter series, The Goblet of Fire by J.K. Rowling. Our journey this week is... Oh, wait, no, I gotta do the story. Uh, do you? It's Harry Potter. This week, uh, the journey is to prove that Voldemort is still a very real threat, right? We we kind of got a, a little bit of a break from Voldemort forward antics in book three. Um, and so I feel like a lot of people in the world and specifically in Harry's life are, are kind of willing to let Voldemort and the threat he poses fall into the background. And can we talk about how stupid that is considering Harry receives a prophecy that tells him that Pettigrew escaping means Voldemort's return, and then Dumbledore just doesn't fucking do anything for a year? Maybe Voldemort doesn't believe in prophetic magic. We know Dumbledore believes in prophetic magic, and Voldemort believes in prophetic magic. I just, I just want to know what Dumbledore and the currently defunct Order of the Phoenix were doing between books three and four. Having our wonderful sporting day outing interrupted by a fucking death cult. Zach, take it away with our departure. So this is perhaps, of all the Harry Potter books, my favorite intro. Um, the, the the getting to the World Cup with the Weasleys, the the discussion on how the tents are so marvelous, and it's it's I really like it. And it all comes crashing down with... Uh, Death Eaters putting up a big, essentially, terrorist symbol in the sky and everything going to shit. So um, that is kind of the reminder to everybody, hey, uh, Death Eaters are still a thing. Voldemort worship still a thing. Don't don't be hiding under a bushel basket. And yet people still do. So um, we move immediately into our refusal of the call, which is the rest of the world telling him not to worry about it, right? Because... At the end of the day, whether they mean well or they're just looking, trying to think about themselves, people are pushing in an area in direction of, hey, you're a kid, try to be living your life, don't be worried about this homicidal maniac who's trying to take over the world, he's either not a threat or you're, you're safe. And, and both people, I think, mean well for the most part, but it is a, a dangerous kind of uh, situation that to lull Harry into a sense of security that doesn't actually exist. For the meaning of the mentor, we have Mad-Eye Moody in this book, who we later find out is someone who's just faking being Mad-Eye Moody using a polyjuice potion. But I don't think that takes away from the type of relationship that the fake Mad-Eye and Harry developed through the beginning of the book. It's very much a guiding hand um, I don't want to use the actual Mad-Eye because it wasn't him, but I'm going to be calling him Mad-Eye for a majority of this book uh, whenever it pertains to him. And he, he helps uh, Harry in, in, in lots of different ways at the school. You know, there's the rotating door of the defense against the dark arts. And, um, and Mad-Eye, while a bit crazy, 
is certainly providing unique lessons to Harry that he hasn't gotten from others who have filled that role previously. For our crossing of the threshold, we have the announcement of the Tri-Wizard Cup, something that uh, is kind of a big deal, right? It's everyone knows that if even to get to view it is, is certainly a special treat and that they're going to have all these influx of visitors to the school, the, the kind of rules and how they're going to interact with those people or how it's going to affect their lives uh, is, is a little bit in turmoil. So it's, it's definitely a new kind of Hogwarts. This one seems like a big change for everybody, even beyond Harry, which I think is, is particularly interesting. And then finally, with our belly of the whale, we have the announcement that Harry Potter is going to compete in the Triwizard Cup even though, uh, A, he wasn't of age to do so. B, there was a magical uh, system in place to stop his name from being submitted. And C, uh, the fact that he is an additional entry beyond that which he should be. So uh, there's only supposed to be one from each school, and Cedric Diggory has been chosen, but yet at the end, Harry's name pops out like an extra little party treat. Not only does it put him in a little bit of hot water with uh, Dumbledore and other members of the staff, uh, but it also kind of promotes his image or downgrades his image depending on who's looking at it um from the other students from his school and the visiting schools i think the journey here is interesting the one you've selected um i don't think harry really ever proves almost is a threat or it sets out with that goal or even has that goal at the end of the book maybe to um spread spread to the rest of the world that Voldemort is alive I, I, I have a very hard time finding a, you know, a goal to this quest when I, it definitely is related to Voldemort, not really related to Triwizard Tournament, even though the Triwizard Tournament takes up all of this all the time. I think it has to do more with the fact that Voldemort a is being forgotten and then we find out that harry's all like again we, we talked about viewing the journey from the past harry's involvement with the tournament all the way through and all the steps leading to the end is all just a goal to get harry to voldemort's sides away from the protection of hogwarts and if you view it in that end to beginning light you can see that voldemort has this master plan and it's up to Harry. And, and and by the end, right, when we when we see what happens with the death of another student and getting returned, he certainly has accomplished the goal of, oh, geez, we can't just be forgetting about Voldemort. He's not just old news. He's back and he's real and it's a terrible thing. So it, there's twofold. There's the this is what Harry accomplishes by competing in the tournament and going through all these trials and meeting Voldemort. And then there's, again, in the background, which not as important to our journey per se, is what Voldemort wants, which is kind of his rise to power. And it's this is the big, what should have been his defeat of Harry Potter, but yet he's stymied for another another year at least. I think what uh, what, sol what sells me on this, Zach, is the way you framed that with the uh, beginning and end, because this book starts with Harry having a vision reminding him that Voldemort is very real and murdering somebody, which... Once again, Harry is told to brush off. And then, as you said, we we construct our journeys backwards and uh, escape, right? Uh, proving that Voldemort is real and bet fighting him once again without dying is sort of the only real accomplishment Harry makes this book. Okay, um, I'm still not really sure. I think it's a hard goal because Harry doesn't do these things at the end. He doesn't prove Voldemort's still a threat. No one believes him. But that's using outside not knowledge. Half the world believes him. 
the the people who should believe him believe him. Well, no. except for the Ministry of Magic. Half <laughs> the people that should believe him believe him. I am curious though, Alex, uh, and we can either leave this in or cut it. What do you? What would you have framed a journey around for this book? Because obviously, it's very tempting to just make it about the Triwizard Tournament, but ultimately, I don't think Harry really uh, feels like a winner at the end of that. <laughs> no, he definitely doesn't. I mean, honestly, it's not very clear. I think to prove Voldemort is still a threat is the goal of book five. But for this book, I don't really. I, I just have such a hard time picking one. I'm still, you know, after talking about it for a little bit yesterday and still looking at it today, I, I don't know. I don't have a good journey this week. I guess my thought for uh, book five would be that if this one is proven that Voldemort is maybe not still a threat, because still imply right, that uh, Voldemort, will come this book is about how Voldemort will come back and the next book is seriously guys he's fucking back what are you doing okay so it, this might the goal of this quest might be discovering how Voldemort is going to come back and surviving. yeah yeah if we if we want to reframe it around that i think i think zach's points still hold up around uh, yeah i think discovering all the up. mystery around Voldemort yeah i think it holds up too uh, um, so that call to adventure then it, it, both the dream that Jack had mentioned and seeing the Death Eaters at the World Cup are I think good um, calls reminding Harry that Voldemort is still there and trying to come back and at the very least his followers are still alive and holding their bigoted terrible beliefs and uh, sometimes acting on them so no problem with that. But for refusal of the call, Zach, I like what you did there, telling us that everyone in the world is telling Harry to move on and forget about this. But funny thing about Harry, he doesn't care what the adults think. He doesn't care that they're telling him not to chase after Voldemort. He doesn't care that they tell him not to practice magic. Like what? And nothing that adults tell Harry is ever really a bother to Harry. Nothing he really cares about. Except well, for most of the time. <laughs> um, well, then what about the other students who kind of just want to feel safe in their own school and not have to deal with the boy who lives? Right? I've got to agree with Alex that I don't think Harry gives, gives a shit about what those people think either for the most part. But Zach, do you do you think there's some merit to the fact that this might be the one book where Harry actually kind of forgets what he's doing in the middle of it? When you mean what he's doing, you mean by being Harry Potter? I, I, I don't know what you're I striving for. You're trying to say you're just like caught up in the tournament? Yeah, right, which I know uh, wait, we have is his temptation, but this is sort of the one book where... The other, the first three books focus on small problems, and so this is the first book that I think of as, right, this is our transition book from preteen Harry into the more darker aspects of the series that carry on four through seven, and this is sort of the last time that Harry doesn't spend the entire book 
worried about what Voldemort is doing all the time. Part of that is because Voldemort is alive and plotting to kill him in all of the rest of the books. Um, I don't know if his um, getting wrapped up in the different challenges, if that really is a good refusal, if that's what you're trying to make it, because it it's so pervasive. Being in the tournament and doing all the things in the tournament, the journey that he has set himself out on and that Voldemort has set Harry out on. Yeah, you know, as much as much as I want there to be a refusal of the call, what I think works in terms of Harry's strength from the journey probably fits better in our talk about the Temptress, so this is going to be a pass from me. Sorry, Zach. So for meeting the mentor... I, I don't think we can do this one at all. Um, first off, Marai Moody as Barty Crouch Jr. just has bad intentions for Harry the whole time. He's setting him up to be killed. He's taking him as a lamb for slaughter. Even, just no, no. And really, what mentoring does he do? So the experiences that Harry gains from Madai Moody is really exposure to the three forbidden curses we learn of the imperial curse which is kind of a mind control uh, curse and it's something that harry uh, has uh, an adaptability to overcome something that we wouldn't have seen otherwise right it's showing harry's strong will if we if he doesn't get exposed to these sort of things then he has one less arsenal in his toolbox in the fight against voldemort well i um don't think that that is true for one, Harry has been experiencing all the Dark Wizard stuff from the beginning, from Sorcerer's Stone, Battling Quirrell, you know, Chamber of Secrets, Raskaban, and he's going to get a lot of experience in the tournament here. And for the second thing, Barty Crouch Jr. is only doing this mentoring to get Harry killed, so we can't count it. Are you telling me that Mad-Eye Moody had bad intentions when he saves Harry, who is stuck under his invisibility cloak, from being caught by Snape? Well, yes, he was trying to get the map so he could kill his father. Mm. Mm. You know, when you put it that way, I'm thinking that perhaps Barty Crouch Jr. <laughs> not, is not, the not, not the best mentor to Harry, but, but what I do think is interesting is that later on we are meant to think of the, this a little bit as mentoring because they do treat Mad-Eye Moody as if he was a mentor to Harry even though everything that happens here is a person attempting to murder him and not Mad-Eye well I don't know if we're ever going to be able to talk about this again but I think Mad-Eye is such a legendary figure that everyone just assumes that what he's saying is is the right thing the best thing to do and Mad-Eye did mentor a couple of um, our other minor characters, I think he mentored Tonks. Yeah, he was Tonks' old boss. So there is definitely some mentoring there, but yeah, it, it is a little strange. We consider that Barty Crouch Jr. was Mad-Eye since the first day of school. So, Do we think that he counts as a mentor because he called up the dark mark at the forcing Harry's call call to it exactly Harry wouldn't have even he puts started the name in the goblet he's doing all of these things to push Harry in the right direction to his death so anyway for this crossing of the threshold I like it at the announcement of the tournament um especially going into the belly of the whale here we can really see that the crossing of the threshold happened we hear that the tournament kills people 
And like to make it safer, they're not letting people of age go in. All of these strange students are coming in, including Kakarov, who we find out later was a Death Eater. Um, and then, you know, Harry's name is called in the belly, and he is magically not allowed to turn back from this thing that he didn't really want to enter, but... Yeah, I never really got the whole there's no going back kind of thing, but... Yeah. The cup doesn't understand consent. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the, as you said, Alex, the crossing and belly are both very strong. They both represent similar but different dangers, and they are spaced out enough to feel like separate events. Uh, which is going to bring us to a close on our departure with only three out of five, which is only unusual because this is a Harry Potter book, and normally those score four out of five every time. We normally have the a very easy call, defense against the dark arts teacher mentor for the first three at least, uh, or Hagrid, because uh, Quirrell, Quirrell doesn't do enough mentoring. A crossing of the threshold and belly of the whale, and it's normally just that refusal because Harry doesn't refuse. Flying majestically around our castle in a scene that is way better in the movies than in the books, we come to our initiation. Yes, so for our Road of Trials, we have uh, the actual trials of the Triwizard Cup, right? We've got three tasks that are set before Harry and several other wizards that are designed to test them in a multitude of ways. We have the retrieval of the golden egg from the dragon. And at the end of the day, these trials are the first real situation in which Harry's abilities are being showcased to the school in a meaningful manner. Everything up to this point in his interactions with Dumbledore or his heroic antics have been very behind the scenes. And so not only does it uh, increase his academic and magic abilities, uh, help with some of the relationships he has amongst the different students, but it also kind of improves his standing at the school because these things are in the limelight for once. So for our higher power, we have Dobby. And the reason it's important is without the Gillyweed, Harry's not going to be able to accomplish the second trial, right? Everyone's trying to find out their own ways to just survive underwater, and and nobody's really sharing with Harry. Uh, Dobby presents him with the Gillyweed that lets him breathe underwater and uh, and allows him to accomplish his quest. So we've got a person who uh, has some knowledge that Harry's not aware of, who transfers that knowledge to, to him, makes it a Perfect higher power. So for the Temptress, uh, we have, and remember, the journey is all about Voldemort at the end of the day. So there's a temptation from Harry's point of view to kind of forget about Voldemort, like people have been stressing him to, and focus on the admittedly fairly deadly trials that he's undergoing, uh, and, and not to worry about that. And I think he falls to it to a certain point, right? Um, he, he gets fully invested, and we don't really hear him thinking about Voldemort, even though... There are a few signs to the reader that things aren't exactly as they should be. And the reason I think he ultimately does a fault temptress to this, because had he touched the, the portakia that was the cup and arrived at Voldemort's side and kind of been a blithering mess because he had, had completely ruled out the Voldemort part of his life, then he would have been saying he completely fell to the temptation. But the fact that he's still equipped to stand up to Voldemort afterwards is what allows me to say, okay, he didn't fall completely to the temptation. For Atonement with the Creator, um, we have his arrival at the graveyard, right? Voldemort is in pretty much every way that negatively matters the creator of Harry Potter as we know him. Otherwise, he would have just been Harry Potter 
the wizard with two nice parents and, and nothing particularly special about him. And now we have Voldemort, the child hero, uh, who's fighting against perhaps the most evil and powerful wizard on the planet. And then for our apotheosis, uh, it's kind of this idea that, oh, if the cup was a portikey and that brought me here, this whole tournament was just a big setup to get me killed. And, and now it's, it looked like it's gotten Cedric killed. So um, we eventually get the ultimate boon, and it's a bit of a uh, morbid one. He, he survives, gets to escape back to the school with his life, but brings with him the body of perhaps the most popular person at the school. So uh, good on that standing, but also brings it back to our journey, which is, hey, I know you guys were trying to not think about Voldemort and trying to realize, trying to put him in your past, but he's very much a part of your future. And here's a blaring example why. So I think this initiation is going to end up being fairly strong, uh, unfortunately for me. But I want to say that I don't think the Rogue Childs is the strongest thing ever. Um, like we said, there are three tasks, and, you know, there, there are three tasks. And Harry gets things from them, sure, kind of. I, I don't really think he learns a whole lot doing the tasks specifically, but he does get information and knowledge leading up to the tasks. But one of the interesting things that Zach, I think you brought up is the um, standing in the school, how all of the heroics Harry has done in the past have been behind the scenes. The school all knows about them, right? Dumbledore tells everybody at the end feast every year, this is what Harry did. He's a big boy. He's a good boy. Except for the third one. I guess yeah, no one really he does not. That. He does not say Harry committed a crime. Everyone, <laughs> a thousand points to Gryffindor. Okay. But um, I do like that he's stepping into the spotlight a little more. I think that that is probably the biggest thing from the Road of Trials and the most important thing, especially looking forward into the next three books him stepping into the spotlight and becoming a more recognizable figure and a more liked figure would would have been very important if people had believed him in the fifth book. And then I think is very important to, for him to become a rallying point in that seventh book. So even though I don't really think that these skills he learns at this child are helpful for this book, I think they're very, very helpful for our later books. How often does he use Accio to save his life? All the time. Twice. <laughs> I don't That's know. enough. <laughs> That's twice more than it needed to. Riakio is the port key at the end, doesn't he? Or is that just in the movies? I can't remember. I can't remember either because I just watched the movie two days ago. Oh, God. So you can only see the movie version of all of this. Do you guys even remember what you thought Harry looked like before the movie No, came out? Harry looks like Daniel Radcliffe. The only way I remember what I used to think Harry looked like is to go back to the early British covers. So, Zach, meeting with our higher power here. Is Dobby more powerful than Harry? Yes. Uh, it depends. He, when we see him released magic. later in the series, and, and the fact that he can do innate magic without a wand, ooh, seems pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure it does. Um, and anyway, the more important thing, who tells Dobby about that gillyweed? Uh, you know, I think it's her friend, Winky. Mm -hmm. His friend? His friend Winky. Sorry. No. Yeah. Don't don't try to. What? Who are you, J.K. Rowling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Winky's a girl who used to work for the Crouches, right? Yes. And yes. Yeah. Dobby is a boy, so I'm pretty sure Winky tells Dobby who tells Neville. No. No. Neville's just in the books. Neville's just in the movie. Neville's just in the movie. 
Barty Crouch Jr. arranges for Dobby to clean a room while he tells McGonagall that, wow, wouldn't it be great if Harry used Gillyweed? Uh, I thought he went through Winky because Winky loved Junior. No, Winky doesn't know that Junior's there. Mm. But anyway, um, so is Dobby really the higher power here? Or is it really, you know, Barty Crouch Jr. manipulating Dobby, who he knows will go help Harry? There's a manipulation factor for sure, but that doesn't fact change the fact that Dobby is the one bringing him the aid, right? Because if it, he had to specifically choose Dobby or someone like Dobby, maybe even Neville or something like that, um, in order to make sure it actually got to Harry, if he wanted to not implicate himself exactly. I still have a hard time thinking that Dobby is the higher power because he's manipulated and he is not really like he's subservient to Harry. So if anyone is going to be the higher power here, I think it has to be Barty Crouch Jr. Not that I really have a problem with it, but I, I just, I don't really like that Dobby is a higher power. It doesn't sit right with me for Dobby to be a higher power. Well, it sounds like even if Dobby isn't, that the role is fulfilled by uh, Barty Crouch. I guess my only question on Barty Crouch Jr. is, is he in an awkward spot? Does he too, Does he do too much to just be our higher power since he's manipulating lots of events rather than just one? I think because those events all stay focused on Harry, as opposed to, it's not like he's trying to round up a whole grouping of children to send to the slaughter. It'll since they, at the end of the day, it's focused still on Harry and not a wide range. Yes, he's also got his personal vendetta against his father, but that's a, not exactly tying into our story. Also, for somebody who is clearly a very good magician or wizard and very smart, Barty Crouch Jr. just gets caught for no fucking re- because of his like weird fanaticism rather than just fucking legging it. After Harry gets teleported, but at the same time, he's it's it's because he's buck wild crazy, right? Yeah, but for a crazy person, he does a lot of methodical planning basically on his own. Yeah, but I feel like the fact that it like falls apart on him is what maybe had unraveled him enough to get caught. Fair. That Harry comes back at all causes yeah him to go a little unstable. Yeah, Ooh, like if if you, if you if you if you just like if you. You can take a crazy person and point them towards the light and get them to focus on this one thing. They've met the goal. They feel great. And then to find that the whole thing that they worked all towards came crashing mm. down is, I think, what unhinged them enough to, like you said, not just book it. Um, I think I'm going to be more inclined to just call it Barty Crouch Jr. and walk away. I think there is still some argument around Dobby, but in order to uh, save some time here for our lovely listeners, you can uh, reach out to us at a hero's journey pod on Facebook or at a underscore heroes underscore journey on Twitter. And let us know who you think is more of a higher power in this book. Dobby Barty Crouch jr. Maybe we'll make a poll. (laughs) Moving on to our temptress. I again, really like this one. I think we already hinted on it at the refusal of the call. Um, but I think that it's a great example of Harry falling to a temptress and it's a realistic temptress for him because it's focusing on this task and the glory of this task rather than focusing on 
the wider task of Voldemort. It's not not focusing on Voldemort or not focusing on something important, which I think is the only way that Harry can really have a temptress. He doesn't. Ha- he's not tempted to give up like other characters. Um, Zach, I liked the examples you gave, but I think one of the one of the two best examples is when Harry tells Sirius, like, forget about my scar. It's not really hurting. Just just ignore this. Um, and then also when he's stopped looking for who put his name in the goblet. You know, he just kind of focuses on the tournament instead of focusing on why he's in the tournament. Yeah, it's a very good temptress. So for our tumble with the creator, I think one of the most interesting things about this is the kind of inverse nature of it. To me, when I think about this scene, I think more about an atonement for Voldemort. He's taking Harry, who destroyed him, who broke his spirit, essentially, and using him to create a new body for himself. And then he's faced by his own magic and the people that he's killed immediately following. Now, I don't think that Voldemort necessarily comes to an understanding with those the uh, spirits of those he's killed, but he does come to an understanding with Harry where now they are both aware that they will be fighting each other and Voldemort can touch him. And they realize their connection with the wands. It's just so connected, but I think that the bigger atonement here comes from Voldemort than from Harry. A little bit of... uh foreknowledge conversation just because i'm really curious about we since this fits with atonement with the creator uh do you think that on our list of chances for voldemort to reform his ways this actually could have been a moment for him to right returning to life being confronted with his horrible deeds through the connection of the wands to save his soul right we talk there's a very big bit about repenting in the final battle I don't think there's any chance to be repentant. I mean, he, he he wasn't going to, but I think this was a opportunity for him to repent, for Voldemort to repent, but he doesn't. And maybe the, maybe the last realistic one of a moment where he's confronted with his actions. Yes, because after, after this, I, I can't think of any specific scene. Like, definitely not after Dumbledore is dead. No, because he doesn't care. God, book Voldemort. I think I think Ralph Fiennes gives more emotion. Is it Fiennes? I can never pronounce his last name correctly. Uh, but movie Voldemort has so much more character than book Voldemort. Book Voldemort is intentionally more one-dimensional, though, right? Yeah. Because it's a children's book and not a multi-million-dollar movie franchise. I don't know if by the seventh book we can call Harry Potter just a children's book. They, right, it was like a generation phenomenon, but they didn't. No one, Rowling definitely didn't attempt to add greater dimension to Voldemort, even with all like the flashbacks to his childhood in book six. Right, Voldemort is a fucking little psychopath, but your villains don't have to be complex. And frankly, in Harry Potter, neither do your heroes. Your secondary characters, they need to kick ass. <laughs> all right, uh, so. Going on to our apotheosis, Zach, I don't think that Harry ever realizes the tournament was a setup until he is told that it is when Barty Crouch is spilling his secrets. Um, Do you disagree? Do you think he realized before that? 
Well, I feel like what other option is there, right? If it wasn't a setup, then how would how, how is he there? Uh, Harry is legendarily thick. But how how is he there then? If it wasn't a setup, uh, I think I, I do have to agree with you. I I think Harry does acknowledge when he goes back for the port key that right that the, when he gets the cup and leaves that this was a set set up to resurrect Voldemort. I'm pretty sure Voldemort says it to him during the thing. The secondary revelation is that is the explanation that comes with Barty Crouch Jr.'s unmasking. Uh, but that comes much later. And I don't, I don't think that one is an apotheosis because that one comes with no real understanding on Harry's part, if I'm being honest. Versus this one, maybe just because it comes so tightly with the atonement, there is some amount of dread and horror that Harry seems to experience. Like We're happy that he's... We're, we're understanding that he's feeling these things, right? Yeah, he They're gets teleported to a graveyard. He becomes pretty quickly aware that that is Voldemort with Pettigrew, right? He hopes that he talks about it like a baby and wishes that it would drown in the pot and Voldemort emerges. And how does Harry make his first escape? There is there. God, I should just pull it up there. I thought there was a moment, uh, right? Voldemort's torturing him and like says that they should rolls away. He hides behind a gravestone. Behind the grave, yeah. yeah. But what is what is his inclination to just not give up and die? I thought there was a m- moment, whether it was looking at Cedric or something. I think it's remembering his father's duel and saying, well, I'm going to oh, at least... Yeah, yeah, Voldemort says you should die like a man unlike your father. Yes. God, Voldemort's such a dick. Alex, I think I am going to go with Zach and award this apotheosis on the grounds that it must exist, but I... You've now given me sort of a sour feeling in my stomach, realizing that there isn't just a moment where Harry goes, oh my god, this was all a setup? No! Which I really feel like there should have been. Okay, well, I, I can live with that sour feeling in your stomach, then. Um, <laughs> now for Ultimate Boon. But Jack the, world, the world's shittiest Ultimate Boon? <laughs> yeah, this is not, this is not great. <laughs> but, I mean, he does escape, but that's the only thing that I have, that I can say is good for it. He does it like discover and stop Voldemort's plan. Voldemort's plan goes to fruition. He doesn't defeat Voldemort in a duel following Voldemort's plan coming. That he he gets very lucky that he has the same core wand and gets away. He's not able to share his knowledge that Voldemort is back with everyone and it get accepted. Again, using a bit of foreknowledge. It's too too hard for Harry Potter to not try and use some foreknowledge. Um and like he doesn't get back and get a reward. He gets back and feels off, which makes a ton of sense because this is probably the most traumatic thing that could happen to Harry Potter. Uh, I mean, it's up there. Could have been Ron. Yeah, I was going to say, how uh, it could have been Hermione or Ron. It, it couldn't have been Hermione. There would be no future books if Hermione died in the graveyard. You can survive without Ron. They... They could have replaced Ron with, like, Neville and still made it through book seven. <laughs> they do, in fact, survive without Ron for a significant well, portion of book seven. No, but, but, but the entire point of that time that Ron is missing is that they 
they don't do very well without Ron. That's meant that entire section is about Ron's value to the team, even if he's a whiny pissant. Okay. Um, so on on this, I guess, can we have a journey without a boon? I mean, I know Harry feels terrible, but he does win his duel, and he does. You say he doesn't thwart Voldemort's plan, but. He does. Voldemort's plan was to arise and come back wearing the cra- wearing Harry's head as an ornamental hat and declare himself ruler. And because he loses the fight to Harry, Voldemort doesn't just declare himself king of the world. I, I mean, like, come on. That doesn't really... I, I mean, I know. I know. But it doesn't really... I... Well, I disagree. I think it I, counts. I I think it counts because in the other version, the books stop. Sure, but I, I just want us to acknowledge that what you're saying right now is the most traumatic experience in Harry's life that he can remember. That's an ultimate boon. That's what we're doing. Okay. Uh, let's let, no, let's let's view it. Let's view it from the reverse, right? If this event doesn't happen, right? If, if Harry doesn't come back with Cedric, then either A, right, Voldemort, he, he actually, that means he went, Voldemort killed him, and like Jack said, he's either immediately crowns himself some sort of, or the, no one knows what happens to these children. They don't know what, ha- you know, and they just kind of, they, they don't know if it's Harry, Voldemort. Things are still uncertain as he builds power. Or they don't even, like the tournament, they just get to the cup, and then they both have to do some sort of tiebreaker to decide who's a champion. Whatever, I don't, I don't care. But if that doesn't happen, then the wider world isn't aware of Voldemort's return, and he still gets to accomplish his growth in power without anybody. You know, I know we joked about fifty percent of the people not still believing him, but that's fifty percent more than really believed him before this event, or forty-nine so, percent. Let's say that Harry did die and didn't come back. You think Dumbledore is just going to be like, well, and don't know who possibly could have done this. Okay, but is Dumbledore enough on his own to actually do anything about it? Because Harry Dumbledore, is. Well, Dumbledore no, has believed... but that It's the event. It's not Harry specifically. It's the exposure of the return. Right. Dumbledore has believed Harry that Voldemort is coming back, and yet this is what leads to the refounding of the order. And without the order of the Phoenix, Voldemort rises to power before book seven. I I, I do agree with you that Harry both, this is not a clean win. Harry wins and loses. And I'm sure, I'm sure that the Harry at the end of book four probably would have said, I wish I died in that graveyard and Cedric had made it home. But it's the best we've got for a win and it in the end it's to be a harry potter nerd and push my glasses up uh it's actually a double win because voldemort taking in harry's blood rather than using somebody else's uh is ultimately part of what defeats him Hmm. so this this is a horrible awful win but it is a win Cedric was dead the moment Harry saved his life from Victor Crumb. And that's not Harry's fault. 
and it will take him years to go through that trauma. But Cedric's death is not Harry's fault. Can you agree with that, Alex, as much as it sucks? I can agree that Cedric's death is not Harry's fault. Yeah, no, I, so, I totally agree with that. So, so if we remove Cedric's death from the equation, Voldemort is back, but Harry escapes with his life to bring back the message that Voldemort is back. Can we call that a boon? It, that would have felt much more boon of like, yes. Yeah, so if we just ignore Robert Pattinson's smoldering corpse, <laughs> then everything is fine. <laughs> But it's so hard to ignore. Guys, he's been so dreamy. <laughs> dreamy. Oh. Thank God, and also terrible that he had to do Twilight, but I'm, I, I've gone full circle back to thinking that he is both a very good actor and a person that I like in his media appearances, at least. Uh, yeah, and that is going to close us out on a very traumatic but successful initiation, hitting all of those points one way or the other. Being held hostage in a graveyard, we come to our refusal of the return? Yeah, so I think the fact that Harry would have preferred not to come back than to come back the way that he did is what makes this a bit of a useful return, right? It's a sort of, oh, I'm coming back and I know this stuff, but I wish I wasn't. And that makes it difficult for Harry to completely reintegrate into the, the world that he left behind. For our magical flight, uh, we have a pretty easy one. It's the port keys magical transportation to get back to the, the school. Um, without without that, he would have been stuck in the graveyard and, and probably never left. Uh, would have gotten a new tombstone in that graveyard. Do you think Voldemort would have paid for a tombstone? <laughs> no, but maybe he could have shared. <laughs> Actually, thick seems like it would kind of be a Voldemort thing, don't you? Maybe. The boy who the, the boy yeah, who the boy did, who didn't live. He did parade his body around or attempt to. Yeah, the boy <laughs> who didn't live. So, um, then the rescue from without is the wands and the spirits that uh, combat Voldemort at the graveyard. Right, they they're what eventually actually allows Harry to escape by thwarting Voldemort for a short period of time. So they're that outside influence that saves Harry without his input. Um, our crossing of the return threshold is, you know, we're kind of used to it in this Harry Potter scene. It's, uh, let's go back to trying to be school children. In this instance, now somebody's actually died. Um, it's, it's a little difficult, but you can see him starting to try to make good of the situation by sharing his uh, earnings from the tournament with Fred and George so they can open a business. And for our master of the two worlds, we have two Harrys existing here. We have... Harry, the schoolboy, uh, and we have Harry, the champion, who is the boy who lived again. Uh, and he tries to embody both of these moving forward in the next books. Um, freedom to live, I, I won't even bother. We all know there's there's three more books, and it would be a fool, fool to think, especially after this book, that Harry has any ability to move on in a, in a, in a quick or immediate way. Zach, I'm going to propose a different refusal of the return um, and I think that it's very brief, but I think it's still present. Harry wants to stay with his parents longer. He wants to talk to them. I, I think that that is stronger than the involuntary nature of his return. Yeah, but I, I don't know how he's actually getting to see his parents in a meaningful way isn't one that he can realistically stay in, right? 
but he does want to stay. We know that for a fact because we've seen what what's in the mirror of Aristod for Harry. Aristed? Aristed, yeah. Aristed. So I, I'm inclined to agree with Alex. I didn't think about it, but I, I think it's quite a good refusal. Harry might actually almost be willing to die to spend an extra minute with his parents' ghosts. Do we care at all about the ghosts' wishes? They do tell him to summon the portkey, and he does listen to his parents. So Harry Potter is a good son. So for a rescue from without, I have really no problem Yeah. Wands and spirits. I think that they do rescue him from the situation there. But I also want to bring up Dumbledore uh, saving Harry from Crouch. I think that that is also kind of a rescue from without. I know typically it's from the place where the boon is, but because this boon is so nebulous in my mind, I think that Dumbledore saving. Harry, in this later stage, is still part of the boon. Jack, do you, which of these do you prefer? Uh, I'm partial to the wands and spirits simply, but maybe that's just because it's a more memorable moment, and as people that were raised on Harry Potter, I'm pretty sure I can still close my eyes and see the, the force-connecting wand lines. Uh, I agree with you that the Dumbledore saving Harry from Crouch is probably even more of a rescue from without, especially because it's Dumbledore, our classic rescuer of the Harry Potter world, swooping in once again to do Harry's fighting for him. Yeah, and if you're and we gonna... Will again in book five, when Dumbledore is our rescue from without again. I mean, and Dumbledore does more than just save him from Barty Crouch. He also is a, is a buffer from the kind of onslaught of questioners, really, at the end of the day, right? Yes, but he buffers him so hard that he hands him over to Mad-Eye Moody without realizing that that's the dude that's definitely trying to kill him. But no, Alex, I, I very much see your point. I, I just happen to personally be partial to the wand connection because it's just, it was such a cool visual moment. So for the return threshold, <laughs> Jack, I know, I know you thought I was going to have a problem with it, but I really like the sharing the money with Fred and George. I don't have an issue with it essentially at all i just, i think it's just fine okay. get rid of that get rid of that blood money uh, i i will accept it i i think i might interpret more reluctance in it here because it's what i imagine but definitely by by the time we start book five uh harry doesn't really think about it at all even when he's watching somebody cry over cedric's corpse constantly uh, however, I, I do have a large problem with our Master of Worlds and Freedom to Live, which you, you said that Harry doesn't have, so I'm good with that. I don't think you can separate Harry the person from Harry the boy who lived twice. I think that he would consider the boy who lived twice most of his identity, if not all of his identity. And I think, you know, even if we're saying personality at school is different from his personality as the champion, as the person in the graveyard. Is it? Is it really? Or is it the same? Harry still, no matter where he is, is working to try and protect other people, which is the most important part of his character. There, I don't think that there is a second most important part of his character. Um, 
I agree with most of what you said, except for the very first part that I hard disagree with. If you asked Harry Potter, uh, if he like identified as the boy who lived, he'd be like, what? No. Harry, Harry thinks of himself very differently than the way the rest of the world looks at him. And that's like a defining factor all the way up until he sort of begins to seize leadership in book five. So I'm confused. I, what I, I don't think I don't think it fits as a. I agree with you that Harry okay. doesn't view himself as two different people, and that's why I don't think there's a master of two worlds yet. I think that that comes later, and is only really finally cemented in the last book in the Flash Forward. Um, but I just disagree with the idea that Harry views himself in the way, right. The, just the way that you phrased it seemed to imply that Harry viewed himself in the same way that the rest of the world does. And I think okay. that there is a very big dissonance or split there for with okay. the way that the the world talks about the boy who lived and the way that Harry Potter views himself as I'm just Harry, the guy who's trying to get through school and Voldemort keeps trying to kill me. Which is why I also, you got to think about it. And I think yeah, you specifically have to think about it in his relationships with other people, right? Because he doesn't want to be the boy who lived with Ron and Harry and with you know, the Weasleys and, and uh, Ginny and all that. He wants to be himself. Yeah, he rejects that identity from the day he meets Malfoy, who wants to be friends with the celebrity. And Harry goes, the fuck you talking about, mate? Yeah. But... I don't think Harry's rejection of... I, I think what Zach is trying to talk about is that bit that we see that comes later where in, with the founding of Dumbledore's army, we see Harry, what Zach called Harry the champion, right? Harry, the fighter of Voldemort, becomes a facet of his personality that I don't think Harry has partitioned off yet. And especially not now where he just views himself as somebody who got lucky and got somebody else killed. So at least at least for me, I think that this is I understand why you went for it, Zach, but I think that this is a mastery that Harry has not achieved yet. Uh, and that is going to bring us to a close. Uh, that master of two worlds and freedom to live missing, which is uh, not the most surprising for a Harry Potter book. But also, unsurprisingly, our final score is 13 out of 17, putting Harry Potter solidly in our modern hero category, to the surprise of no one. But it's always fun to come back and talk about Harry Potter. I don't think I'll ever get tired of this series. Which is a great segue into our closing thoughts. Um, I reread all of these in a massive binge uh, during some part of lockdown i bought the kindle omnibus so they they blurred together a little bit a few months in uh so perhaps when we come to order i'll refresh and have more specific thoughts but it's harry potter i love this stuff i i unashamedly ran around universal studios with my sister's digital connected wand to do spells i got no no, no nothing to say except that i love this series and really wish that i could ignore everything surrounding it with its extended universe canon basically the opposite of star wars where i love most of the extended universe canon yes i really enjoyed this book too and i'm very excited to be going on to the more adult books uh in the series it's always nice to reread harry potter from the beginning but 
from some of book three to the end of the series, they've become more adult and it's way more enjoyable for me to reread them now. Um, in this book, especially, I enjoy all the tournament aspects. I, I think it's a fun, exciting jaunt away from the dark world that we're about to be fully integrated in. And Harry does a great job of having fun with it. Um, I don't think that the others, the side characters, get a lot of development here, which is a little sad to me, considering how much development we had last book with Hermione. Ron and Hermione both get a little bit, right? Ron gets his ang his relationship with Harry degrades quite a bit throughout the first part of the book, and they get to repair that. And Hermione gets her ugly duckling transformation and her relationship with Crumb and the stress that Harry begins to feel as he sees her and Ron gravitating towards becoming an item. But outside of those three, right, we don't... I think it's really with the introduction of Luna and the Dumbledore's army in the next book that the cast of wider characters that at least I know I really love start to get really fleshed out. This book perhaps is my, I don't know if it's my second or my third. It's this third, fourth, and fifth are my favorite three. And I know the third is number one, but I'm not sure where four and five fall along the Third's the best but, movie. Uh, I, I just try to think of the stories as a whole, I guess, but. Um, I don't know why I'm trying to correct you on your opinion. Sorry. <laughs> And so I, I remember reading this originally and really liking the trials and not knowing how he's going to overcome them. And then by the end of the book, you really feel like, hey, I didn't really like Cedric Diggory anyway, but that doesn't mean I wanted him to die sort of feeling. Like, I know he's, you know, the, the all-American or all-British star, but uh, I don't know. I never really resonated with him as a character. So when he died, I went, oh, man, but I'm sure glad it's not Harry. Um, but I think we've, we've done a good job of trying to f navigate the road of Harry's actions versus outcomes of Harry's actions, uh, by the end of this book. So I'm happy with our discussion. Thank you all so much for joining us. If you've been liking a hero's journey, don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from and hit whatever your subscribe button is or ring your notification bell to get information about new content as it comes out. And as always, we love to hear from you guys. So if you want to reach out to us, we've got a Discord where we have a great set of conversations going on about books, and we'd love for you to join. As always, I've been your host and judge, Jack. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. And join us again next week when we'll be diving into The Stone Sky, the final book in N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy. Yay! Oh, thank you. Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> Dumbledore said calmly. <laughs>